When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to The Family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. This week, part two of our look at the missing Beaumont children. And Dad, I found an article from the Sydney Morning Herald back on November the 9th, 1966, which isn't that long uh, away in time from when the children went missing. And I'm not sure if you knew about this aspect of the case. It's a very, very small piece, but I'd like to read it to you if that's okay. Mm, Great. Great. Okay, so this is from the Herald. Dutch seer arrives. Adelaide, Tuesday. The Dutch clairvoyant, Mr. Gerard Croisset, arrived in Adelaide today to try to establish where are the three Beaumont children who disappeared on January 26 on a visit to Glenelg Beach. He said he was convinced the children, Jane, nine, Anna, seven, and Grant, four, are dead and would try to find where their bodies were. Mr. Croisset said he would begin work tomorrow and would not get in touch with police until he could tell them something. Now, I was curious about this aspect of the case, not because I believe psychics can find things, but because I found it interesting that they were so desperate that they reached out to a psychic. Now, Gerard was apparently quite successful at doing what he was doing, but according to sources, he kept changing his story. He didn't provide any useful clues. And then there was a warehouse near where the kids lived. And last week, we talked about how close they were to Glen Oak Beach. So there's a warehouse near the home and he believed their bodies were buried inside an old brick kiln in that building. And the owners of the warehouse were like, uh, we'd really rather not, you know, dig things up. But then the uh, there was like this public campaign to basically raise money to have it demolished so the owners didn't have to do it. So they raised $40,000, they demolish it, and they don't find any evidence at all. Mm. Uh, and yeah, that was sort of a weird dead it end. Is weird. It is yeah. weird. But Paul, mm. um, your surname... Yes. Where did that originate? Holland. Correct. Or that's somewhere. where that's where Gerard's from. Yes, but it was the Dutch community in Adelaide. Yeah. That stumped up the money oh. to fly him from the Netherlands to Australia. 
That is, I did not know that. That's yeah, the Dutch community. So that's right. kind of slightly intriguing. Mm. He probably flew KLM, mm-hmm. Royal Dutch Airlines. Probably the safest. Well, anyway, <laughs> just a bit of a plug there for KLM. Um, I was again. I do a lot of my thinking when I'm running, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about this case. Um, I've been thinking about it a lot this week. And I was thinking about it whilst I was running this morning in the dark on Bondi Beach. Yep. And I was, I'm just trying to sort of, what I do is I clear my mind and I just try and go through as the detectives and everyone at the time would have been doing. And that is, how on earth did this come to pass? And every time I look at a photograph of the three kids, I, I just can't can't believe it it's so bad and the the anguish that the mum and dad would have suffered they never had any more children um they separated yeah broke up the marriage that that part really upset me actually i know the, uh. it was australia day so a lot of people would have been at the beach it was 40 degrees celsius yeah which is bloody hot that's over 100 degrees fahrenheit mm-hmm. now the children were sighted as we discussed last week, at least three times. And these witnesses, the police have said, because police always divide up witnesses as as sort of into the credible group, mm-hmm. and then you get all these other, you know, subgroups, and then you go into the wacky and zany. But we don't know what happened, but my theory is... I just have this feeling, Paul, that there was more than one person involved. That's interesting. Because um, I just I just can't see, and I have a real problem with a motor vehicle being involved. I don't see it. Mm. I see I see a house. And when I say I see, I'm not talking like a clairvoyant, of course. You're not, yes, you're not a clairvoyant. No, I'm not a clairvoyant. This would be a very different show if you were. Yeah. Um, but he was playing. This this man was seen at one stage lying on the grass near the beach in a park. And they've got very, very good independent sort of descriptions of this particular suspect. Mm-hmm. He was in his 30s, very well tanned. He had a pair of white swimming trunks on with stripes either side. And he was actually lying down <clears throat> on a towel and the children were actually jumping over him. And one of the supposed, um, as per reported from one of the witnesses, one of the sisters was actually flicking him with a towel. Now this sort of, and the witness said that this man was really encouraging the children to just you know, have a great time. It just sounds, you know, I mean, the kids possibly were very, very trusting, although the parents have sort of countered that argument. But we need to take ourselves back into 19, in the, into the mid-60s. And, you know, I remember as a six-year-old, um, I was six in 1966, and sort of walking around the streets of Armadale, um, you know, the parents would just say to you in the morning, on the weekends, they'd say, off you go, and you'd come home 
when the sun went down and you'd come home. It's, and they had no idea where you were for the entirety of the day. You might yes. come home and grab something to eat or you might go to a friend's house. And we used to go cray bobbing, which is sort of fishing for crayfish, when I was under the age of 10. And we would climb through barbed wire fences in Armadale on the outskirts with my reel of cotton and some meat. And you'd be going to, um, you know, really, really deep, dark um, ponds and you'd be fishing. But no one knew. Your parents didn't know where you were. And even if they wanted to get in touch with you, they just wouldn't know where to look. Mm. And if someone had have come up to me, if a man came up to me when I was six or seven in Armadale, you'd be just chatting away. Yeah. You would have no... And if you'd never, ever encountered that sort of insidious, terrible, if you hadn't been sort of molested through incest or through a family friend, you wouldn't understand for a little while at least what was happening. And if nothing happens in the in the first sort of few hours, because it's all very friendly, we also know, as we said last week, and this is very, very um, credible evidence, that one of the daughters went into the... The cake shop with a one pound note, and she bought food. Yeah, I heard about that. So, hey, before we get to the suspects, mm. there's something I wanted to raise, and that was the fact that, again, I'm going to read from an article here. This is from the City Morning Herald, December the 6th, in 1981. Letters written to the Beaumont parents two years after their three children disappeared from Glenelg Beach are now regarded as a vital clue in the mystery. Today's Adelaide Sunday Mail reports the letters virtually dismissed as a cruel hoax for 13 years were purported to have been written by Jane Beaumont, nine, the eldest of the three missing children, the others being Anna, seven, and Grant, four. The letters were posted from Victoria two years after the children vanished in 1966. One letter published in the Sunday Mail says, Dear Mum and Dad, we had a very beautiful lunch today. We had some turkey and a lot of vegetables. They tasted really nice. The man is feeding us really well. The man took us to see The Sound of Music yesterday. The letters have been on police files in Adelaide since 1968, but only last week fingerprint experts were ordered to examine them. Now, basically these letters, uh, which were sent, had the uh, parents, the Beaumont parents, believing that their kids were alive. And obviously you would think this would lead them to a suspect. So before we get to the actual suspects, I need to point out the fact that they got one letter, apparently from Jane, that's the one that I just read an excerpt from, another from the guy who said he had the kids, and they were sent from apparently uh, Dandenong, which is a suburb in Victoria, which is where Tegan grew up, uh, so I know the area quite well. And uh, they kept saying that this man was taking care of them and that things were fine and uh, police thought they were real. And then the parents uh, teamed up with a detective and they drove to the spot they were meant to meet because there was a meeting place uh, put into the letter, right? Mm-hmm. And then basically they got a third letter saying that the guy realized there was a detective with the parents and so he decided to hold the kids back. And, you know, at that point, there's no more letters. Uh, and then in 1992... A couple of years after the article I just read, um, they were revealed to be a like a proper hoax. And the person who wrote the letters was a 41-year-old man who at the time of the kidnappings, uh, abductions, whatever, was a teenager and thought it'd be funny to send them in. But because so much time had passed, he couldn't be charged. I mm. cannot imagine how bad he would feel knowing that he had given these people false hope. Over the years. And I also can't imagine what that detective and the parents would have thought knowing that, holy shit, we're going to find the guy who did it. Um, mm. 
that is so so heartbreaking when coupled with the psychic thing it's like just the need to have some actual substantial evidence that points you in the direction of who did this and what happened to the children so you can get some closure is just it'd be mm. crippling um i mean did you know about the hoax letters and how did you feel no. about it well i do now that you've told me and it's just mm. it's just um upsetting okay. but these situations where there's a lot of media publicity they do bring out some weird and wacky people right and when I was at the, let me think, the southern end of Bondi Beach this morning in the dark, there was a guy standing there yeah. and he reminded me of Bevan Spencer Van Einem. He looked very similar. You know, he was, he was big. He was quite frankly, and, and yes, it was pretty dark, but, you know, that's my mind sort of going crazy. And then I thought to myself, you know, it's clearly not him but walking amongst us, amongst civil society, mm-hmm. are lots. No, I'll rephrase that. Are a number of people mm-hmm. that are fucking scary, yeah, and who have committed atrocious crimes that have never been solved, and are molesters, are pedophiles, are you know, it's the whole sort of sort of gambit of known crime so i know that that's completely irrational to think that particularly this morning on the beach but that's how these podcasts definitely affect me um because it's sort of a continual sort of looking into all this stuff and i i maintain um always have always will that you don't really know people and i also believe that Every single person is capable of anything pretty well to, if the circumstances sort of, if we create this situation. Um, look, it's just, it's bizarre. There are so many people in the world in jail. So many, but think about all the people that are not in jail. Mm. Um, you know, there is such thing as the perfect crime. Obviously, the perfect crime is a crime you've committed and you haven't been caught. So, you know, and in this particular case, I hate to use the term the usual suspects, but this Bevan Spencer von Einem that we've discussed in relation to his terrible crimes, you see, one of the things that the police have to consider, or I imagine did consider, was that it was two girls and a boy. Now, one thing that I have noticed looking at the photographs of these three children is that they all had short hair. So there's a possibility that there was that sort of crossover in terms of the psychosexual deviancy that they felt that they looked perhaps at least androgynous. That, that's one theory. Another theory that I have thought about, I haven't read this um, being postulated anywhere, but it's possible, and that's why I'm thinking it's more than one person, that one or two of the offenders had a proclivity for females. But, you know, because the police say, oh, yes, you know, Von Einem, he only liked boys, but there was a boy in the group. And can you imagine, and this is really fucked up what I'm about to say, and it's and it's, it's debased and depressing, but it is like dividing the spoils of a crime. So it's not one person. You know, one person gets 
can you imagine you had two or three people and they all get to sort of, I mean, it's hideous to think about, but certainly not out of the realms of possibility. Well, let's not bury the lead here. Um, Bevan Spencer von Einem is the first of the suspects. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we know him from, Dad? Because loose units, uh, loose units listeners will know Bevan Spencer von Einem's name. That's right. Well, he um, was charged with the uh, the murder of the son mm-hmm. of a high profile media television newsreader. Newsreader, yeah. In 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 Adelaide, Rob Kelvin uh, yeah. was the was the newsreader. Yes. Mm. But um, von Einem made certain admissions to a witness. And he actually made reference to the Beaumont children. Yes. And he also made reference to another two children, um, which is terrible. And that's the case that happened uh, at the football field. A couple of these suspects that we're discussing um, have been linked and very, very seriously linked to another crime yep. that you and I have never discussed, and that was the disappearance of Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon. And these young girls, they went missing when attending an Australian Rules football match at the Adelaide Oval mm-hmm. on the 25th of August, 1973. Now, this is, um, you know, their disappearance has always been presumed to be an abduction and a murder, and it became one of South Australia's best-known crimes. And the media and the police have, over the years, linked this back to the disappearance of the Beaumont children. So the time difference is seven years, which is not to say that they're not unrelated, because one of the things about this particular crime, the link, is that the suspect in the Joanne Ratcliffe and Kirsty Gordon crime is extremely similar to another suspect. Okay, so before we move on to the rest of the suspects in this case, is there anything else you want to talk about regarding Spencer von Einem? Mm -hmm. Well, basically, um, he was sentenced to imprisonment in 1984 for murdering the 15-year-old Richard Kelvin. Okay, so he was the son of the newsreader. Mm -hmm. But during that case... It was a very, very reliable informant. Now, he was identified as Mr. B. Now, I know we've discussed him in previous podcasts, but Mr. B relates an alleged conversation that he'd had with Van Einem, and Van Einem had been boasting, get ready for this, yep. about taking three children from a beach several years earlier. Okay? Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. He took them to a location where he conducted experiments. Okay? Okay. And Von Einem said that he'd performed brilliant surgery on each of them, okay? And he also used the term he'd connected them up. So I'm not even going to go into what that could possibly mean, but it does remind me of a, of a terrible film. Oh, Jesus. Um, and then what happened was, this is all according to Mr. B, that one of the children had, had died during the experiments, and then all of the bodies, the three bodies, had been dumped in bushland south of Adelaide, okay? Now, the police had not originally considered von Einem as a suspect in the murder of the three children on the beach back in 66. However, they then looked at early identikit photographs from 1966 of the the suspect, the prime suspect, mm-hmm. and they found out that von Einem visually fitted the description. Of the thin-faced blonde man? Correct. Right. Now, there was a bit of an age discrepancy, but age is a very, very difficult thing. Yeah. Really difficult. If you get 100 people and you get them to guesstimate the age, and some people that go to the beach all the time and they're sort of, you know, their skin looks like a half-sucked saddle that's been out in the Sahara Desert for six months, just resting there on a rock. So things happen, you know. Or you can have a, a person that's of some age that looks really, really young. So, yeah, that that's not a that's not so reliable. But the thing is, Paul, that um, one of the most extraordinary things is that the police in two thousand and seven mm-hmm. dug up archival footage from Channel Seven of the crowds that had gathered in 1966 on the beach. Yeah. And in that crowd was a young man resembling Van Eyman. Isn't that incredible? Wild. So, and we know, Paul, because of our, you know, hundreds of podcasts over the years, that quite often, in fact, it's, 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 it's not uncommon for the offender to be there in the crowd 
And that's why it's really important for the police. That's one of the things police do all over the world is they go through all the media footage. And even spookier is when murderers, and there have been well-documented cases of this where they actually assist the police mm-hmm. in searching for the body. There have been some classic cases of that. So that's he is to be considered. But then we've also got Arthur Stanley Brown. And... Here's an interesting one. He was charged with the murder of two sisters in Townsville, Queensland, which is thousands of miles away. Yeah. But. They went missing in August 1970, so. Correct. That's that's after after the uh, Beaumont children went missing. Correct. But there were some people, some some witnesses in this particular case, Mm -hmm. that he that had put forward the theory that he also was um, a suspect in the case because he also, and this is where it gets a bit weird, he also, um, to quote, his resemblance bore striking similarity to an identical picture of the suspect for both the Beaumont triple abduction slash murder and also the Adelaide Oval cases. So there, there seems to be this sort of this thread, and this particular guy, Arthur Stanley Brown, he had access to government buildings. So back in those days, they would have had a limited number of special keys, like a master key that would gain him access. And weirdly, all his employment records, because he'd worked for the government, Mm -hmm. that may have been able to shed light on his time and movements during... Because obviously you can figure out where someone is working, you know, based on the records. But all the records relating to this particular Stanley Brown were destroyed. They believe that some of them may have been lost in the great 1974 Brisbane floods. Yeah. But it's also possible that he had sort of access to government buildings and he may have destroyed his own files. I guess my problem is that, yeah, he was 53 at the time of the, uh, the kids going missing. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big age discrepancy. It sounds like if, if the man being described by people, uh, the various witnesses, uh, had been described as a middle-aged man, uh, that's a very, very different description. So for me, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make sense. But he, uh, he got dementia later mm. on. He died in 2002, so they could never actually figure out whether it was him or not. He died before they could uh, get to him. Mm. But the next suspect is uh, James Ryan O'Neill. Now, he told people he did it, which is Mm. very confusing to me. I know, I know. But he was also, um, you know, sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of a nine-year-old boy in Tasmania. But as you say, he'd been working on a Kimberley, uh, like a, you know, station, Mm. like a sheep station. And he told a number of people um, that he was, you know, responsible for the um, for the, the supposed. Well, we know that they were kidnapped, but you know, ultimate murder, um, which has never actually been proven. I mean, what got weird was he tried to stop the making of a doco on the ABC mm. called The Fisherman, which was all about the, uh, this this case we're talking about. And uh, that didn't that didn't work. They finally got to sit him down and interview him about it. Uh, and uh, the police basically, after the interviews, completely ruled him out as a suspect. 
so I think it's fairly safe to say it's not him. Well, it's, never safe. Yeah, it's well, never safe to say anything, really. No, 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 but also, but he also um, implied to mm. the media that he could have done it, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that um, that he was in Melbourne at the time and, you know, the media said, look, that's not a denial. But then later on, he, he sought, you know, legal advice, okay? And then he actually said to the media, look, um, he's received legal advice and the legal advice is that I'm not going to say, you know, where I was at the time of the of the, the, the missing Beaumont children. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of weird. And also he was an opal miner in Cooper Pedy. And they know that opal miners bring their their quarry, you know, their, their spoils into Adelaide. So, yes, a suspect. And then, of course, we get on to the, the, the bad man, Derek Ernest Percy. But um, we have discussed him before, and he's been involved in quite a few murders of young children, but he, you know, a suspect. Okay, so Derek Ernest Percy was charged, was arrested, sorry, um, for the abduction of Yvonne Tui, if you recall. Mm. Um, he's the guy who used the tomahawk, um, and he drove the Datsun. Yeah, okay. Horrifying. I mean, this guy had terrible terrible tendencies he was absolutely insane uh but he claimed not to be able to remember any of the crimes he committed um and also back in 66 he was uh pretty young he was about 16 17 years old mm, yeah, so no. yeah. probably yeah probably ruled out and he died in 2013 uh in prison so again there's no way for this cold case to be cracked if it was him uh another suspect was harry phipps harry phipps we've talked about uh before he looked like the descriptions. He lived uh, quite close to mm. the area. Yep. And, and he um, used to give out one pound notes. I heard about that. Yes. Which is interesting because that's a yep. lot of money. Mm-hmm. It's circumstantial. It yep. would probably make a... It would certainly make... If I was investigating a case in 66, knowing how how much money a pound was, because the, the children's mother gave them around about 60 cents in today's money. And that was to, you know, for lunch and for bus fares. And it's irrefutable that one of the children came into the shop and spent a one pound note. Yeah. So, Paul, just sort of putting the suspects of which they may or may not be connected. Uh, You know, the Dutch um, clairvoyant, he... He had this sort of a vision that all the kids were crawling on their knees and there'd been right. a, ca- a cave-in uh-huh. and the beaches and cliffs around that area are notorious. And whilst I don't like to trivialise or make excuses or rationalise what we've spoken about over the last two weeks, I think it's also very important to realise, uh, listeners, that at the end of the day, Anything is possible. And, you know, I, I've been sort of racking my brain coming up with sort of with theories. And another theory is that um, one man took the three kids ultimately, you know, maybe along the cliffs or along the beach and maybe there was a cave in. And I was also thinking this morning that, you know, imagine one day they, they're sort of, there's a huge, huge sea and it just erodes 
the cliff and they they come across this cave and paul just imagine that um a cave is 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 found and inside the cave are three children's skeletons and a the skeleton of a of an adult male perhaps i mean that's that sounds crazy but not impossible nothing's impossible so you know i don't believe that the three children would have hopped into someone's car i can believe that they knew this person and then one might say but surely the children would have discussed it with the parents we know one of the daughters did say to the mother oh referring to the eldest daughter the sister uh such and such has got a, a boyfriend and of course when you're a young kid a boyfriend it it doesn't mean you know because she's nine the boyfriend's going to be 14 but it could it could mean that there was a uh, another theory is that there was an elderly sort of you know the the brains behind the operation mm-hmm. and he used a young child around about their age as as the bait so there are so many and of course so many people would have inadvertently seen things happening and here's a question i'd like to put to you Paul and all the listeners I want you all to consider this very very carefully I put it to everyone listening that if you see a man dragging a kid by the arm and the kid's screaming or even a man or even a woman because you can't discount women but on on the balance of probabilities more you know based on the statistics of these horrendous Mm -hmm. crimes more than likely to be a male and, and that the person's got the kid sort of under their arm, okay? Or yeah. even holding them. And, and the kid's screaming and carrying on and it's down at a beach. Let's, let's all move to a beach that we all can think of. How many people, and I include myself in this rhetorical question, would go up to the person and say, is that your child? I will bet you that it would be near zero for everyone, including myself. Is that not right? It is. That something's just occurred to me. Yep. I am very sorry to listeners where I kind of was trying to conjure up where I'd heard Bevan Spencer von Einem before, and you're all probably screaming. He was the uh, convicted murderer in the uh, the family killings mm. in uh, South Australia through the 70s and 80s, um, you know, where they killed and tortured uh, various young men. And when we were talking about Richard Kelvin, the 15-year-old son of the newsreader who was, you know, tortured and drugged and raped and all this terrible stuff happened... Uh, yeah, that was one item. And it's suddenly occurring to me, and apologies to any of our listeners who are in South Australia, but good God, South Australia has, I mean, some of the worst crimes I have, uh, I've seen in Australian history happened in South Australia. I'm sure statistically there's a reason for that. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking at the list of Von Einem's victims, and yeah, it, I mean, the one thing I'll say is that he primarily kidnapped, uh, no, he only kidnapped uh, males, so taking... You know, God, yes, Dad, but, I'm, I'm, the amount of look. There's a lot. What I'm saying is, there's a lot of crossover between the I suspect know. pool of all these cases. You know, I know. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, maybe, maybe you look. Look, no one knows. Mm. Um, if we did know, we wouldn't be, you know, giving it such, such, sort of time. But it's yeah. very, very interesting to, to just sort of try and think about. Take yourself into that hot day, Adelaide, mid-60s. It's flat. 
and people are moving towards the beach. They know there are no air conditioners back then. It's just fans in people's houses. It's hot. There may be no breeze. But it's it's Australia Day, um, for better or worse. And, you know, I just... Again, it's... You know, we talk about would we go up to someone that had a kid and they're sort of the kid's screaming. No, you wouldn't. But you would if you'd been there five minutes before and seen a group of kids walking along and someone pulls up and grabs one of them. Then 99.9% of people are then going to call the police. It's all about that moment in time we witness because there's an event. For, and the event has a beginning and an end. But if you are sort of seeing part of that event in the middle, you don't know what led to that point that you see that does not arouse suspicion and you certainly have no idea what the end the end of this situation is going to be. Yeah. Um, it's just... I, I, I have given this case more thought than I think I've given a lot of the other things we've done, Paul, uh, partially because of the subject matter. I'll tell you something that's really interesting, listeners. Unless the bones were ground up and taken out to sea, it's amazing to think that somewhere probably in Australia and probably around that city of Adelaide is a location where there are real bones of these kids actually somewhere. It's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It's just unbelievable. And yeah. it may remain a mystery forever. Or something might happen in the future. Well, last, be- last, the last break I found, I say break in the case, back in 2020, there was a, they, were, they had a few kind of apparently very similar child abductions that took place around the same time in the same area. And there are leads on those disappearances. So they're thinking maybe there's some sort of link there. So by following those cases, they might be able to link it back to the Beaumonts. But at this point, all the damage has been done. You know, know. there's no... All the collateral has kind of fallen out. I guess the only thing to do now is to try and just provide some closure. But I think everyone involved in missing persons cases, especially with children, just hopes that one day they'll spot someone. I mean, you know, across the the crowd in Portugal or you know over in Europe, and they'll go, "Oh shit, it's them!" And they were alive the whole time. That's the vain hope we all cling to because we watch a lot of movies, right? Mm. But I think the sad truth is that uh, yes, they are probably dead somewhere. Yeah, and and what's even worse is that it's it was so long ago. It's entirely possible that the only people that knew where they were have uh, passed away. Mm. And another thing I've been thinking about, Paul, is why don't prisoners that are incarcerated possibly try to commit their sentences by giving information? Or or not only that, why don't they tell someone about something extra that they've done? But they don't because they. In their hearts, I believe most of them um, feel that why should they? Why should they make anyone feel good about anything? They're having a shit life in jail. That's how they see it. And I, I think people do take things to the, to the grave. I really do. It's fascinating. It's fascinating, and God knows uh, we we I mean, we'd love to figure this out, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think we will. 
What's interesting as well is that I was convinced that by not doing a murder case, you know, like a straight up and down murder case, I would not leave this uh, this series of episodes feeling depressed. But I am because missing children is just about the worst thing that can happen to anybody. So, so that's all the time we have for this two-part look at the Beaumont case of the missing children over in Adelaide and Glenelg Beach back in the 60s. Please hop onto our Facebook page, our Facebook discussion group, and let us know what you thought. We'll be back later this week with Loose Ends, but in the meantime, have a good week, everyone, and we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.